episode number one of Fleeting Thoughts, an altered TCG podcast, part of the Main Deck podcast family. I'm Dan. And I'm Jordan. And as Dan said, welcome to Fleeting Thoughts. Today, our topic is going to be kind of going over our preliminary thoughts on the print and play and our experiences demoing to a few people and just kind of our extended thoughts on the revealed card pool due to the print and play being released. Yes, I'm, I'm very excited for this, Jordan, because it has been actually a little while. Uh, what what has it been? Four, three, three, four months uh, since we got to actually try this game, and we haven't been able to um, play it more since we first saw it at Gen Con. Yeah, for sure. And I remember after we left Gen Con too, uh, there was a small stint where me and you were trying to remember what all the cards in the deck, yeah. so we could just like make paper one. It didn't work out. No, yeah, but, uh, we, we, we that's <laughs> right. We were both like, what do you remember? Let's try and make cards so we can like show people the game. <laughs> yeah, but uh, now yeah. we got them in full and it's been great. Um, it's very exciting. I'm pumped to finally have my hands on at least some of the game and I'm very excited for the game as a whole. Yes, uh, I've gotten to demo with, uh, I think I think my count is around like a dozen people or so far. I've been able to... Uh, run through the game with them, show people the game had a wonderful reaction to everything. But of course, before we dive into our conversation today, I just have a couple of things I want to mention. First of all, if you do enjoy listening to this today, I really hope you do. And if so, go ahead and leave a like or a comment uh, or both on our YouTube video if you're watching that way, or if you're listening to us through your podcatcher of choice, if they have a way to like review the podcast and you can leave a positive rating, that would also be super helpful as we start to grow and get our kind of our outreach going and find more uh, interested audience, interested in altered TCG. And then secondly, if you want to support main deck in general, one of the best ways you can do that is by using our TCG player affiliate link when you're shopping for TCG singles or sealed product. The link for that is going to be down in the description or in the show notes if you're listening again to the audio version. Um, or you can always just go to bit.ly slash shop TCGs. That's bit.ly slash shop TCGs. It'll bring you right to the TCG player homepage. And from there, you can shop just like normal. It'll cost you nothing extra at all. But instead, we get a little bit of a kickback from TCG player, which actually really helps us a ton. So uh, thank you so much to everyone who's been supporting us that way. And if you want to support us that way as well, we would greatly appreciate that. Now, Jordan, let's talk about our experience now that we have finally gotten some altered, well, print, printed cards, but not like the kind that we're going to print from, <laughs> from altered later, <laughs> the kind where we printed them and, and cut them out and put them behind in front of like old magic cards or something. Jordan, what's yeah. your experience been like getting to play the game now? Um, it's been exciting i've had a fantastic time uh, i haven't got to demo as much as you have but i have some friends lined up once we get our schedules like kind of lined up i'll have a few more people that i'm going to be teaching and running some games with uh so i haven't got to play all of the decks yet uh but i did get to play a few of the ones i didn't get to play in gen con and i got to look over the card pool thus far that have been reviewed of course, it's print and play. They might even change the cards in there to something different. But at least we have a better idea of what each faction is kind of going towards or even just effects in general and how they're going to function, which has been very exciting and kind of in my mind, I'll have like, oh, they could do this. Oh, they could they can have things that do this. So I'm just I'm very excited about it overall. Yeah, I've it's been super fun. One thing that we really kind of lamented, I think we talked about this before. 
um, from Gen Con was that we only got to try out a couple of decks each. So when we left Gen Con, and and I think you've mentioned this even on a previous podcast before too, we were uh, we were they had to like force us out because we sat there and we we begged them to play another game just so we could get like one more game under our belts and tried some different factions. And we were heading out the door when like everyone else from the next session was like already in, just like waiting for us to move. We're like, no, 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 wait, we got it. We just got to finish this game. Um, yeah, the like preamble to the next session, we're there like looking over the art books and stuff and like having snacks, waiting for people to pile in and me and Dan are just like, we gotta gotta finish this game we gotta know (laughs) it was just so like encapsulating um partially because we just weren't expecting it either like the first game as they're telling the rules we're like okay this this seems kind of neat we played it and it was just like oh this is good but the second game we are already like we are in the mindset of like we're in we need to know now so it was it was very interesting yeah one thing too (laughs) is that we the other reason we really wanted to play so much was that, you know, there were six factions. They had decks for all six factions there. Um, and uh, ultimately a couple of the factions remained totally mysterious to you and I, after we mm-hmm. left, we, we didn't get to see anything from uh, Muna, the green faction or, or from Axiom. A- Axiom, the, the Brown yeah. faction. Uh, I had played Ordis in the second game. The first game I played Lyra and then you had played uh, Izmir the first game and then yep, Bravos. Yep. 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 Fire cat. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get to make your cat every turn. Um, and that, yeah, I mean like it was, I had no idea kind of what was really in those factions. Like I had a basic idea. I was like, okay, I think I knew that Axiom was the one faction of those demo decks that like actually played with permanent cards and Muna had something about green stuff, <laughs> druids and stuff. You know, I was like um, the druid ladies petting a large red fox seems yes seems naturey had cute animals I'm sure um, so now that we've gotten to actually play with them um, I remember from my first games I kind of thought I thought Lyra was fun um, and I thought Ordis was really cool I've gotten to play all the decks now and I've actually been become enamored with Muna I think Muna is is uh, one of the most fun factions to play um, and to me it's like it's it's actually a I think kind of a skill testing faction. It's a little bit harder um, to play because you're so it's all about building up your guys and kind of keeping them in play. So it's really easily disrupted. The opponent can easily kind of like, okay, well you, you know, you stacked a bunch of stuff on that guy. I'm going to bounce it to your hand. I'm going to banish it or something. And then you go, well, that sucks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But when you can play around the removal correctly and, and bait out the right things and everything, it's an extremely rewarding faction to play and nothing feels as good as like having a, like a gigantic cone man out that you've stacked multiple boost counters on. That's like, yep, for the next two turns, I've, I win this side and then I'm going to play him again. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. What, uh, what factions have you found yourself really liking? Um, Well, the only ones I've got to play since Gen Con are the, the top two I wanted to play anyway. Uh, like I said, I've looked over all the cards. I do find it fascinating for Muna specifically. They have not quite ramp, but what I'd like to consider like halfway or like mini ramp with the the gift, because there's a lot of stuff that give gift, uh, makes everyone in the table draw a card. So not really getting you resources, but it gives you more options in hand. So you're more likely to put cards down, which I, which I think is cool because it's not ramp outright, but it just gives you that little extra little extra flexibility um especially in the later game 
And I want to, I just want to jump in just because, you know, I know I'm cognizant to the fact that we might have people listening to this podcast who aren't like ingrained TCG players. Um, and so when we're talking about the term ramp, it's probably important to kind of mention what that means. So ramp is typically getting your resources out faster than the opponent does. Um, and I think we, we talked about this just a little bit before Jordan, and cause I think you have an interesting take on this. I never would have thought of what you're saying that way. Uh, exactly because typically just drawing cards is not a method of ramp. And, and I still think there are going to be people who are going to argue with you because they're just like, say, Nope, that's absolutely not ramp. That's fine. But one thing that we've noticed, I think in playing a lot of these games is that, um, it does depend a little bit on the game, depends a little bit on the opponent. Uh, but it's actually fairly easy to run out of, or get very low in cards in hand to the point where you actually do consider not dropping a resource. Um, which may be wrong most of the time. <laughs> I'm not hundred percent sure. Like as far as like from a competitive standpoint, um, inside me, I, you know, my, the competitive TCG player says you should be dropping those resources until you're 100 percent sure that you no longer need them for the rest of the game. Otherwise you're, you're denying yourself, not just a resource that turn, but like being down every a resource after. Yeah. Yeah. Every turn thereafter. Right. But Sometimes, and this, I think this can come up because the game uses this, this mechanic where you're going to be playing sometimes multiple cards because you have two different sides you're trying to compete for every turn, and then they're going to go to memory. Um, sorry, it used to be called memory. You're going to go to reserve. I'm still getting used to that. It's going to go to reserve. I forgot they changed it. I, was, I was yeah. thought I was like, I was like, man, I swear that didn't call it reserve. Like, there's... Nope. I'm pretty sure it was something else. And I was like, maybe it was memory, but no. Okay. So it was memory and they changed it. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So they're going go to go to reserve. <laughs> yep. They're going to go to reserve and then you can play them from them one more time. So the cards in your reserve are kind of like more cards in your hand, except you can't play them as resources. Um, now, depending on the opponent, some opponents are going to play the sabotage mechanic, maybe more than others. That is a spicy, spicy mechanic because it's going to, remove a card from your reserve thereby denying you the option of playing that card a second time um and i've we've had games now where players have gotten fairly low on card count to the point where i'm i i've watched player players i've demo with there they have like two cards in hand and they they're just i've i can almost read their mind they're like I can't put either of these down as a resource. I can't. They're too good. They're too critical to my game plan. I need to have these for, even if I can't play this one this turn, I need to have it for a future turn. Having the cards in reserve, you know, usually gives you some options. So you can be like, well, you know what? I can drop this because then I can just play these this turn. But if you're out of those and you only have two cards in hand, I, I like I can see when you go, these cards are more important than getting this resource this turn. Um, yeah. So I get what you're saying is ultimately what I have like a very long winded way of saying that, like, I like I get what you're saying and that having more cards in hand is giving you that ability to more freely put cards down. You don't miss your your mana drops um, as often. Right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and I agree. That's a that is a very cool mechanic. Yeah. And um, but the faction that I have been kind of jamming um has been axiom it was one of the ones i wanted to try when we were there being an engineer myself i was like oh i gotta gotta try the engineers and i get why they picked it i was a little bit sad that it's brown because it's not the most exciting color but i understand it's probably more so for like um visually impaired i know color blindness uh that's probably why they chose the color palette that they did um because otherwise 
some of the colors would probably muddle together and it'd be hard to tell. Um, but the robots and the design of the bots on the cards, beautiful. I love I love all the little robots and I like uh, being able to put stuff on the board because in that like later game or even mid game at any point in the game, but more importantly later, when you're at that more point where you're like, ah, oh, I don't have the cards to do a bunch of stuff every turn because you're battling it out. Being able to just put something freely on the board is so good in my opinion and it's it works so great because the way the game has its push and pull where you can threaten all three spaces whether it's going to push your game plan or not it's something the opponent has to consider like do they just concede to the one point on water and they're like i don't want to waste resources just to fight this one water but he's gonna win on water if i don't do something so it's just like it's like that little like nagging sound in the back of your head where you're like i gotta deal with this but or like in other games where you're like, I had like it's a it's a weak creature that just does something good when they hit. So you're like, I gotta throw resources away to kill this one damage, really. And it just kind of yeah. builds up. Yep. That. <laughs> um, I just before I jump, I, I want to respond to that. Before I jump into that, I want to say I also think a reason that Axiom is brown um, might actually go back. We know that um, the the uh, I don't want to butcher his name because it's in French, um, <laughs> but. Uh, the um, person whose idea it was to even found Equinox and create Altered, um, uh, we would pronounce it in, in English as Regis. I think it's pronounced differently in French. So I guess that's that's I guess where I'm going to leave that, unfortunately, <laughs> um, because I haven't had time to practice saying his name correctly, and I don't want to make him feel bad. Uh, but I know we we know that it was said that he wanted to bring back that feeling of old school magic. That's why they're doing the unique cards. Um, and everything. And if you know anything about old school magic, it's that all of the artifacts were brown back then. Yeah. Um, and I so I'm sure, that part. yeah, That's... I'm sure a little part of that was, was just that, you know what, this is the classic artifact artifice sort of faction color, uh, from classic magic. So, um, I think, yeah, sense. I mean, I, I see where you're coming. Like, I don't actually, I don't usually pick up brown sleeves. I don't when I'm picking <laughs> card sleeves. I don't usually like it that much, but, um, I don't know. It kind of it kind of feels like it works for the color palette that you used for the art on all the cards too. It kind of, it, I think they look decent. Yeah, for sure. The cards themselves. Oh, the cards on everything though. Oh man, one of yeah, the, one, one of the best features about the game is the card oh. art and the the UI design looks very clean and readable. I love it. I want to say no. I'll say that for later. I'm going to respond to the Axiom thing. <laughs> um, I you pointed out something that has been just super exciting to explore in Altered specifically and it's and it it is because of the mechanics of altered that makes this mechanic so interesting and different than every other tcg we're playing including star wars unlimited which may have a similar sort of board structure but plays totally differently um having anything like the ordis faction or axiom things uh axiom permanence that put anything that just puts a little like one 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 guy on the board on one of those sides, that is so fun. It sounds it sounds like it shouldn't be fun, but it's extremely fun because you put that you put that one 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 unit out there, and you're gonna win unless the opponent commits to that side. And there are so many little like mind games you can play by doing that because you can, especially if the if you if any effect gives you the option of which side to put it on there. I think there are a couple of those so far where you not not all like Ordis one has to go in hero, the Bravos one has to go in companion. But I think I think one of maybe one of the axioms lets you choose. I'm not 100 percent sure off the top of my head right now. 
But if you ever have the effect, the ability to choose, you can go wherever you want. You you don't want to actually win that turn, right? And then your opponent will go, well, I mean, I don't, I, I just have to, I don't care. Maybe your opponent doesn't care which one they went on. They're like, I just have to progress. So I'm going to go here and fight him on this one or something so that I don't, I, I can at least deny him that. And then the ball's in your court. In Altered, one of the strongest things we found is the ball being in your court, responding to the opponent's actions, which is why Izmir has the whole like, uh, yeah, after you, after you mechanic, right? Yeah, Where such you a good mechanic, like. Yeah, to touch on that, that was the deck that I was playing at Gen Con, and when we first sat down, both me and Dan looked at this character, and they have no abilities but one called After You. And at first glance, we're like, "This is this is a terrible character. Like, why, why would no I one's going to play second? this?" Yeah, it's like, <laughs> why would I ever want to go second? And then I used it the first time, and my brain was immediately like, "Oh, I always want to go second. <laughs> yes, this please. ability is potentially too powerful, and I love it." <laughs> yeah, it's so it's like you put that down. And you watch your opponent respond and then you have all the information in the world and you go, perfect. Okay. Now that you're fighting me somewhere, I don't care about, I'm going to put this giant thing over here, or I'm going to put this like small thing over here and make you make a really difficult decision now. But like, ah, like, should I half fight him over here? You can hold back, you know, some of your stronger plays. There's a whole sequencing thing. Um, Sequencing is super, super important too, to try and like get your opponent to maneuver in the wrong direction if possible. Love all that stuff. That's that is what's super super fun um, to me. And yeah, I like Axiom. I found really really fulfilling. I found it a really really fun faction to play because you're getting to really mess with that permanent mechanic um, mm-hmm. that the other factions currently, you know, are in this print and play aren't really touching. There's a couple other factions have a couple of permanents in them. Uh, Lyra does, Ortis does, um, but. The really cool thing about how this mechanic works and the reason that I was really, really vibing with it was every character can only have up to a certain number of permanents in play. Right now, it's all two. That's a check at the end of the turn. Yeah, at the end of the day. So like at the end of the still, day. still load stuff, get all your hives to pop off and then just get rid of all but two. And you're like, ah, got a bunch of two twos run, or two two twos just plaguing the field on every lane. It's great. And yeah, I thought it was really fun to like build a, you know, a contraption that turn, like making some things. And, and when I, cause you, you want to play a permanent every turn with that current print and play leader, because that's how you get uh brass bug into play. Um, mm-hmm. So at first I read that, I was like, Oh no, I can only have two, but I was like, no, no, it's really cool actually. Cause I can put this one into play and then I can choose, you know, there's, there's a couple of permanents that just do something when you play them and then don't do anything. So that you're free to just kind of like pitch those later, but they trigger your hero still. Um, and you can build this big contraption that turn and then just discard down to the ones you want to keep. Um, and it just, it, I felt, it just felt like, it felt like my wheelhouse a little bit too. I really was enjoying that. Just kind of like building up, building back down, going in and out of kind of having bigger machines running. Um, and thematically, I like it because of the way kind of like you're describing, like the gameplay of it feels like you're building like a functioning, like factory, or like a machine with yeah. a bunch of small gears that, make themselves kind of go the more you add to them and it just it feels it's so it's so fun to play and like i said i love the way the bots look it's just it's fantastic and one thing brass that bug I, hive so good i love it <laughs> brass bug hive is super cool the the thing that i really liked about it was i think a lot of a lot of games will take a faction like this and it very quickly turn it into like the the sit back and let your cards like do things faction but 
um, the way that hero works made it very active the whole time. You, you wanted to keep playing more permanents than pitching down to them. Um, and that also made it so like when, when you have a deck in a TCG where it's just kind of like, I put out my things and then I, I sit back and I just win the game. Um, those decks are typically pretty cold to disruption. Uh, whereas, um, I think meaning, sorry, that you're going to like lose the game pretty easily if they just kill like the, the key component of your, your, your combo Rube, Gold, Rube, Rube Goldberg device kind of oh, yeah, That's a better, that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Once they kill that kind of, they, they get rid of the part that drops the marble and then nothing works anymore. Um, in this case, it felt like since the, the deck was built so that you just played permanence every single turn to the point where you were going to start discarding your own anyway, when someone answers your permanent, it, do- it doesn't feel quite as devastating. It's like, oh man, like I really wanted that one. Oh, well, here's another one, <laughs> you know? And so I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, Bravos. Now you played Bravos at Gen Con. Yes. Bravos, I thought right away, this was the most boring faction. That's what I was I, actually going to say. I, I kind of get what you're saying. I thought that now I want to I want to back up. I thought that initially, right? Yeah. After my experience at Gen Con, literally, yeah. Let me be let me be clear as well. After Gen Con, I was like, eh, these guys are just kind of lame and basic. But then after I looked at some of the cards that I didn't see in our original play, I was like, oh, this could be sick. I got excited. Um, I played it. I think it was maybe last week or two weeks ago. I got to sit sit down with someone else, teach him how to play, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna play Bravo. So I'm just I'm gonna give this one more shot. I'm gonna try it out. And had a an exceptionally fun game where um, I was able to put out uh, what is it Atlas or something? There's the the gigantic dude. He he comes in. He's a five drop that is three 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 stats, but he has a keyword that makes him count as in he's, as if he's in both yep. sides of the expedition. I yep. love that keyword. And I and I kind of maneuvered in the game so I could get a turn later on. So where I was like gigantic guy. And then training session him and put like a bunch of boost counters on him. It's like, okay, now you have to deal with like a seven, seven, seven on both sides. <laughs> um, and when you're, the game got so tight, it was like down to the wire. We were both just like a one, one step away from winning. And, and if I recall that was able to really put my opponent in a tough spot, the turn before the game ended to the point where they had to kind of use some resources suboptimally to try and prevent me from just winning the game outright that turn, which then let me get like a killer Hua Mulan out next turn from reserve. So she was like super buffed up. It was the rare one. So she was like super buffed up. Um, and I think I won that game. If I remember by a single point uh, of a single stat point on the, on the expedition track that we were both fighting for um, to, to secure the victory. It was really close, but um, I, f- I enjoyed the power of really big stuff that game. <laughs> yeah. Bravos is one of those that have, like I said, a face value looks kind of bland, but when you get some of the other pieces to it, it, it clicks into place and you're like, Oh, there's some random, just like sick stuff that I can do to really push my advantage. The, the thing that's really cool is that, that I really enjoyed in that faction and in Muna also, uh, those were the ones where I definitely was like doing this the most. Cause they have some pretty cheap costing, um, event cards uh, and it was that they're the cards that don't have fleeting so you'll play them and get the effect and then they'll go to reserve and then you can if you have the resources you can play them a second time 
So doing things like training session, well, you know what? I'll training session again. Like that, that was how, that's how you get it late game with Bravo. Some like really, really massive stuff. Um, I really, yeah, I love that. I love the reserve mechanic so much. I found, I find it fascinating. Yeah. The reserve is, is pretty sick. Um, I'm definitely excited to see the full rulebook too, because I'm wondering if they'll tweak anything like mechanically. I'm assuming not because like they have a, such a like cracked like testing team. They've probably already caught all the like random things with that. But yeah, I think I think the game is like fairly tested at this point. Um, I'm sure it's just like minor kind of tweaks to numbers. I mean, I, I know they were they were settling on wording and everything before they released the print and play. Um, so I, th- I think, I think the wording and everything is, is pretty locked in. The last things we're kind of waiting on are like, um, I mean, obviously, like I said, little developmental tweaks on numbers just to try and keep everything fair, uh, and a decision on how many rares and uniques go in a constructed deck. I think that's the other, I think they're the last we've heard they're honing in on 15 rares and it might still be three uniques. Um, and, and then the rest of your deck. deck for yep. final count. Yeah. Yep. Which, which leaves you still with 22 common cards, meaning over half your deck is common, which another thing that we, I think are very excited about in altered is your decks realistically shouldn't be that expensive. Um, because guaranteed over half of your deck has to be commons. It's like, there's like a, there's a kind of a ceiling. It can't really get like that out of control. Um, so yeah, what, I think we're just waiting on that stuff. But otherwise, I think things are fairly locked in, and uh, and I think that shows because it's been the game has been for me. I don't know about how your experience has been exactly, Jordan, but for me, this game has been demoing uh, like none other that I've been able to demo with people. Every person I've shown this game to, I've even shown it to people. I've had people come uh, to our demo event who are like, "I don't, I do not want to like this game." I literally, like, literally sit down they and say, like, ready to hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, I, I want to walk away thinking this was not a good experience, or, or at least this was like a mediocre game that I don't want to invest in. And they go, ah, actually, that was pretty good. I really liked that, and I'm probably gonna back the Kickstarter now. How's your experience been with that? Uh, it's been pretty good um, so far. Uh, the people that I've showed it to, or I've preliminary showed it to. Are I haven't had anyone who's like ready to hate it, but all of them seemed they went from being like, oh, that might be kind of cool, and then when I dove the deeper, they're like, hmm, I could see myself liking this game. I've even had a a guy who isn't really even a card game player who seems interested. I'm pretty sure based on how I know him, he's more interested in the non game side of it because I told him about you know the other stuff like the d- different revolutionary stuff the game's going to be doing with like distribution and uh how the your collections handled and he's really excited to see how that unfolds but he was even like the game even sounds sick I think I might try to play it too I like he's like so he wants to come over at some point to my house and like actually like play a real full game which is interesting cuz like I said normally he's not too big he likes board games but he's not a TCG player but this might be the TCG that captures his heart. That's something Locks that I, in. <laughs> I think that's actually going to be a more common thing for altered than other TCGs, many other TCGs on the market. Um, we obviously saw a good amount of that happen when Lorcana released. Um, and that was like, that was, that was due in part to two reasons. One, the IP was just 
appealing the power to people. of disney is yeah power of disney um but number two uh it was ravensburger pushing it um and if you're in the tabletop space ravensburger is a household name or Ravensburger. Mm-hmm. I think I say it wrong every time. Ravensburger is actually, I believe, how you're supposed to pronounce that. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. It's it's German. So. Um, oh, I thought it would have been ravens because their symbol is like a raven in the little box. Yeah, but whatever. it's yeah, but Germans don't say that word as raven. I believe they I say. Guess. I believe. Look, maybe there's going to be a German person in the comment being like, "This was the worst podcast I've ever listened to in my life because <laughs> you guys have no idea how German works." But I'm fairly certain I've heard people saying Ravensburger. Um, okay. uh, who I, I would trust with the pronunciation of it. Fair, um, fair. <laughs> anyway, anyway, altered has a similar sort of impact. Actually, interestingly, I've seen a lot of people commenting on like fa- the Facebook ads that, um, Equinox has been pushing out weirdly comparing the game very directly to Lorcana, like sometimes in weird ways like that. I one person I saw posted a picture of, of it was like the Tinkerbell enchanted or something enchanted card from Lorcana and, or no, it was the Hercules one. It was the Hercules enchanted card from set two in Lorcana. And they posted it and they said right after they posted something that said like, you know, does this, uh, does this look familiar? Like basically insinuating that they copied from Lorcana in some way. And I'm like, I don't know if you guys have seen a Lorcana card, but it doesn't look anything like an altered card in my opinion, I guess. Um, so Maybe they I guess confused because there's questing in Lorcana and you're adventuring in this game. Uh, yeah, those two are almost synonymous words, but both not... IPs are ba- based off of different cultures, like fairy tales, if you will. Like I've been telling people, Altered is my favorite TCG that features Mulan and Tinkerbell. So it's, you know, there is some similarity there, um, but not Hercules so far, at least that we've seen. So I just like, I was, I was having trouble like understanding kind of where that was coming from. But the point is that people are, and that wasn't the only, I've seen other comments too, but there were the, there, there are people who are, you know, comparing, maybe it's, Maybe it's that like sort of bright, uh, cartoonish, like Western cartoonish um, style that Altered has um, that is like people just feel like that, that kind of friendly, that nonviolent sort of art style is like getting people to like get the same vibe. I just wouldn't have said that it looks like a stolen card template or anything because it's the same thing. It's not the same yeah. thing at all. The only other thing I could think of is maybe they do forget that like the works of Disney are based off of like classic, I don't want to say classic literature, but like classic tales from different places. And some of the themes of these ones are based off of those same tales. So like Mm -hmm. it's not based off of Disney, but they're both pulling inspiration from the same story, if you will. Um, So maybe that's why they're like, oh, it's Disney because maybe they're just either aren't aware or forgot that most Disney stories are pulled from not Disney. Yeah, no, that, that could be, that could totally be what's, what's going on either way. It's, it's definitely a different game than Lorcana. Um, but I think that is going to, um, I think that's going to appeal to people in the same way in that it's, it's a, it's a very inviting theme. You don't have, it's not like a, you don't have to be like a, a huge anime fan to be into it. Like some of the other games that we cover, 
Um, I think it can just appeal to a wide range of people in general. And then when people understand the pedigree behind the game, um, again, the creator of the game was the founder of Libelude, which is the company that produced Dixit, Mysterium, Seasons, Dice Forge, some very, very popular, especially Dixit Mysterium, very, very popular board Basically games. Basically just produced bangers from the board yeah. game space the, constantly. <laughs> straight up, that list is all bangers, like yeah. it is. Um, they're great, great games. And that, just like with Ravensburger and Lorcana, that seems to be something that appeals to people who are typically tabletop players, um, but maybe you know, may not dabble in a TCG unless this board game publisher that they kind of, that gives it some, some sort of, uh, some sort of weight to them is the one publishing it. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I think that's actually going to be really big because with this unique system of buying and selling cards, uh, I think I I'd like to say that the people who actually look into it and understand the system when like the Kickstarter launches and aren't normally TCG fans might actually find that they're more interested in this game because of that. I think it's going to be an affordable game to play. And I think it's going to be very easy to acquire exactly the cards that you want, which from a board game perspective, board game playing perspective, like someone who's a hardcore tabletop gamer, often that like collectible randomized, like expensive cards model is a turnoff. Mm -hmm. um, for them, but this model might have some advantages that I think will, will maybe make them think a second time about it. Yeah. Plus the ability to just print whatever you need and that'll be, it'll make the barrier of entry because getting friends to play new card games. I know this for a fact is like pulling teeth for some people. Some people are like, this is my one. I play magic and I don't want to hear, see, or listen to anything about any other card game. But if you're like, Literally, it's just your time. Even if you like the game and want to play with us at our table, costs you nothing. I can print any deck you want. The only way you need to really truly like buy product is once you're in enough to be like, I want to come to the casual tournament at the card shop. I'm, I, I don't want to just play at your house. I want to go play at the card shop. I want to get cool prizes. I want to get foil cards. Like Then they'll be like, okay, I'm in, which makes it so much easier to like have people approach or even the people you wouldn't expect, which is another boon for the game because it's, it's audience is going to be able to capture that wide net. It's just getting people to try it. And there might be like family members that you'll be like, Hey, they normally wouldn't want to do that. They don't care. But you're like, I can get you this. You can try it at my house right now, basically for free. Or if you have children and you want them to learn and you're unsure if they're like going to be able to handle a more complex game, it's literally no skin off your back if you're already playing. You're just like, you print them a deck. If they end up not liking it or it's too much for them, you just, you know, it's you didn't lose any money. You didn't buy them a bunch of cards. You just, they get to have fun and then you get to have fun and everyone has fun and it's, it's excellent. It's just the barrier to entry is so low with this game. I feel like that's going to be a huge boon to people catching on because it's going to have that not word of mouth, but like, oh, my friend tried this. He wants me to try it. All I have to do is show up and play and then have a great time. That kids thing you mentioned is actually kind of a, I, I hadn't really thought specifically about that. One thing that I think is an issue sometimes is like, let's say, let's say you have a, a child and you want them to play Lorcana with you. Maybe they, they might even want to because they love Disney. They love Elsa or whatever. 
um, Lorcana cards are not cheap um, because of how popular that the game is. So you might be tempted to give them your really cool Amber deck that has uh, your expensive Rapunzel's. And I think she's actually gone down a lot in price, but like, you may like have an Amber steel deck with Rapunzel and Tinkerbell, some cards that are, that cost a, a penny or two. Um, but you definitely don't want to give it to your like six year old and be like, Hey, it's all yours because it's, it's going to get destroyed. <laughs> it's going to get wrecked. It's going to get washed. It's going to be a Charizard in the pocket that goes in the washing machine and, and gets destroyed. They'll be um, eating their French toast sticks and then get syrup all over the cards. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's really cool to have a game where you can just say, you know what, Sarah, this is your deck. Like, this is yours. You can do whatever you want with it. And if if it gets destroyed, you just can, you know, it's you pay a small fee, but you just print print it again it's a lot different than if your you know your 25 dollar rare cards get destroyed it's the 25 dollars is probably two decks or something depending on how the we don't know how exactly the pricing scheme works for print on demand but like um it's yeah i mean like that's actually It'll definitely be, really cool. be cheaper than them ruining your dual land that costs 300 dollars a piece oh my god yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we don't want to give them expensive magic decks at all for sure um so yeah that, that, i think that's going to be really cool um, that's one thing is I haven't gotten to demo to any kids yet. It's been all, you know, people in our sort of age range, which at this point is like a hundred feels like, um, <laughs> but so far, um, like I said, everybody who I've gotten to play the game has, has said that they absolutely loved it. They've wanted to play more. We had actually at our local shop, um, we, I was telling all the employees there who I know pretty well, and, and I was saying, "Hey, I'm I'm demoing Alter today," and they they all like looked into it, and then they're like, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do." There were like three or four of them working that day, and they're like, "We're gonna take shifts. I, we're each gonna take a break and come demo with you, and then swap out." And they did that. They each person <laughs> just kind of swapped in and out so they could all play the game. And then actually, like a couple people ended up not getting to. A couple more people they ended up not getting to so they're like can you leave your decks with us so we can play later on and i was like yeah sure like go for it so um got to teach the entire crew at the lgs um i got to teach the lgs owner uh once again josh at jdub sports cards another one of our sponsors um who is very intrigued initially by the um by just the the system of of ownership and and purchasing cards already was intrigued from sort of a, like an LGS perspective and, and seeing, seeing it as an interesting market, um, to, to try and capitalize on. Um, he tried the game and he was like, he looked at me and he was like, Dan, why do you keep doing this to me? <laughs> yep. I'm going to have to go all in on this too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's good. The game is good. Yeah. It's, it's a, breath of fresh air too because there's we've tried a lot of games that are you know from bad to this is an okay game to you know excellent but this one really like knocked us away it's just it's hitting it's hitting the ball in all the right places well there is a reason that this is one of our podcasts now <laughs> it's like true <laughs> pretty pretty clear at this point um i was curious jordan you got to play with your wife a little bit how did she like the game uh she liked it 
um, which was uh, surprising and not surprising. Uh, she was most intrigued already from the get-go, because when I told her about it, she was kind of excited. And then she saw some of the art, and she's like, oh, I like all the art on all of these cards. Um, so that was her main draw, and then she played it. Um, one of the things that I love about the game, too, is it's it's easy to teach and easy to understand what's happening, but it has the classic cornerstone of an excellent game where the barrier to entry is low, but the skill ceiling is high because mm-hmm. there's a lot of nuance to all the decisions you make. So it's great for, you know, because she, she likes card games. She's not like like me, like knee deep in the weeds. So she's able to get in and play and play competently at a very low entry point. And it's, she, you know, she enjoyed that factor of it. It didn't take a lot. It wasn't like, like when I taught her universes, it took two or three demos before she was like, I'm kind of getting what the hell's happening yeah. on this game right now. But this one, it was like halfway through the demo, she was already like, all right, I know what I'm going to do. When my, like, I know I have a plan. She's already like in the mode of like, I know and feel comfortable what I'm doing. Um, yes. And she's excited also... to try some of the other factions as well, because we only had the two at the time that we ran the demo, because we, we were waiting on our, our free printing to refresh for color printing because i wanted to right. do color i didn't want to get black and white i was like gotta do color printing shout out to your local library yeah local <laughs> library <laughs> yeah um i i have also experienced that with uh it's it has just felt super easy to get the the game into people's heads right away like i feel like on your first demo session you are already able to like start to strategize which is which is not the case with a lot of like a lot of TCGs are have a reasonable. I don't think anything right now is like exceptionally hard to learn, but like universes is on the top end. I think of, of TCGs mm-hmm. in the current market, as far as like hard ones to, to get into. But um, there, you know, there, there is definitely a curve to how easy they are. And, and altered feels like Lurkana is on the Lurkana is the easiest game I think to learn right now, but altered is altered is, on the list, actually, I just published the video top five e- easiest to learn TCGs. Um, yeah, I which... was, I was, I was like, oh man, how come it all this? And I just chalked it up to it's technically not out yet at all in any capacity. So that was probably why you didn't include it on there. Correct. Yes, but if I did that list in 2024, I think altered would have to be included on it. So we'll see. Maybe I'll revisit it next year. Um, one thing that has been a point of contention. So let's bring up let's bring up the big point of contention in altered. Other than people who, um, I think are either, well, actually, I'm just going to turn this into a whole segment. Here are the things that I think um, have been points of contention for people in general looking at the game. Um, mostly, and by the way, I want to be clear. Mostly things that I hear from people online who are just kind of checking it out for the first time. I read I read every single comment I get on YouTube. So I have read some of these in our own comment section, our videos, um, and I've and I actually watch um, pretty uh, pretty frequently the like the posts that um, Altered makes on Facebook and Twitter, and I read comments and threads uh, on all of those basically. So the one the main the main negative feedback that I hear from people, not that people have played the game, just people who are looking from the outside, is. Um, concern about the, you know, the purchasing and ownership, digital ownership system, obviously. Um, the blockchain. 
not the it's not blockchain (laughs) no i know that's the misconception though people for some reason still think it's nft based even though the developers have specifically said it has nothing to do with blockchain it's not an nft there's nothing like that it's going to be hosted on their servers the way i've been telling my friends and the people that i demo to there's a good way to think about it is it's more like if you play an mmo like guild wars or world of warcraft all of your digital character stuff is hosted on their server and it's just the same. Instead of your inventory and your characters and how you put your skill points being hosted on the server, it's what cards and how many you own on your collection is just being hosted on their proprietary servers. Like, and it's, the way it's not like an NFT at all. The way that I actually describe that um, when I'm getting kind of deeper into the conversation with someone is actually even a little more specific than that. Because you, when you buy these packs of cards, you own all of like all of the physical cards inside. But what you are really doing when you scan them into the app is you are basically unlocking the license to use that card in a tournament or to print additional copies of that card. So it's, it's, I mean, they, they describe it. It's so much faster to describe it as just digitally owning the card, but it is it that's actually kind of a, a distinction that I think helps the game click with more people a little bit more because it's less about that whole like owning something that is isn't real and it's more about can I use this in a tournament can I print additional copies of this card and when you sell that you're just selling those rights to someone else but you keep the card um if you want to um uh, or you can throw it away or you can do whatever you want with it but you should I keep it probably Um, and I, I, it's, I just, I guess I just find it. I don't quite follow the, the backlash that that gets unless it's people who are, who are seriously thinking it's like some, some sort of a rug pull, some sort of a, um, crypto scam or something like that. Um, but it's, it, there's nothing about the system to me that comes off as, any sort of a, like, I don't get the same red flags, I guess is what I'm saying that I think other people get when they read it. And so it just makes me think maybe they just don't, maybe they're seeing, you know, maybe they are seeing it differently. They're not understanding another, another point they bring up. I've, I've, I've directly responded to this a few times was, well, what happens when, if, when the game dies, the servers go down, you've got nothing. And that is, only true in everything except altered. Like the the funny thing about I've literally read that argument word for word, and this is the one instantiation of a digital quote unquote ownership or whatever where that's distinctly not the case. <laughs> it's like the yeah, because it's like even if they did, even if their servers shut down, you still bought physical cards that you can still play with, just like any other card game. Like yeah, it's weird that they'd think that. Just because like every purchase you make, unless it's from a different person, is like you're buying the physical packs, you're scanning the physical cards. So if you're even the day the game came out, if you bought a bunch of boxes and they crashed the first day, game's done, they're not making anymore. You still have that product physically and can still nothing stops you from still playing the game. You just can't print off new cards, which to be fair in any other card game is just not an option at all to print off new cards. So it's it's the same thing. (laughs) It's the same thing, but literally better because there'll be at least some amount of time that you can just print however much you want to just have those copies. Like it's just now here's, here's where I think it gets a little, a little more like a, it's a point of view 
type thing. And, and I don't know that like, you know, this is like your mileage may vary, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So from our perspective, Jordan, you and I were card game players, right? We, we like to play TCGs. We've played TCGs for infinite years. Um, there are people who are, who engage in TCGs, but while they may play them, sometimes they're more from the collector's angle, right? And if you look at the game solely from that collector's angle, I can see where some things would feel like they're not firing on the pistons that you're looking for. Um, again, you have to put your head in that this headspace of I'm someone who wants to own cards because they're rare. I want to have special cards. I want to have things to collect to complete sets. I want to do that kind of stuff. So from that angle... There's no physical um, scarcity to any individual like physical piece of cardboard. There's no physical scarcity to it because when you get it, even if you're the only owner of it, for example, in the uniques that they they release, you can go print a thousand of them and now you no longer have a physically scarce object. Um, you can also, uh, if you are trying to collect sets of things, if you're a collector who wants to finish a complete playset of the game, well, that's not you possible. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think this game just from its design and given it makes sense when you think about the fact that the main designers were originally board game designers. They don't care like that. Collection isn't a thing that comes into your head like normal TCGs, which I think plays to the game's strength and in in certain ways. Is this is just not a game that collectors will ever care about unless they just happen to like the art and they just want for their own reasons because and you might think originally oh well the game's gonna die then because collectors are an important part of normal tcgs because that's what gets people to rip open fresh boxes however they design the game in such a way that the game players are the ones that are going to want to rip product open because more uniques are always out there you're gonna the chase is more now in the hands of the players because they're like oh, but I could get a sick unique at any point. So, you know, us who will have a bunch of product, there's still incentive for us to be excited about our prize packs or, you know, buying a box here and there because now it's not chasing this, you know, super rare one-of-one chrome rare or something. It's what kind of sick unique cards can I still pull that are in the pool somewhere out there in the wild? I think there will still be some collectors who find it interesting to do certain things um, like hunting the strongest unique or the coolest unique or like hunting as many uniques of your favorite card. Let's say you really like Hua Mulan and you're just like, I, I'm going to collect unique All Hua Mulans, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I, I think that is going to appeal to certain people and with the way they're doing foils, the foiler system. So every few packs you open a foiler, which is going to be of a common rare or unique rarity and then you can apply it to cards in your collection and then print off foil versions of them. Yeah. Um, I think there are going to be people who are going to see, because the, by the way, the set size is enormous. I don't know if you've caught this. We, they, we just had this kind of, for the first time, I think mentioned in like a Twitter thread or something. Um, but they said it's about 400 cards in the set, not counting uniques, obviously. And um, that does make sense from a, if you think about it too, because in this game, unlike most other card games, to our knowledge, um, there's no color mixing and they have six factions that they yep. have to make pools that are big enough for. So you have different things that you can do in it. So that it does make sense that there's going to be a 
pretty substantial pool for the first set for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and because of the way they set the game up, that's that means it's going to be roughly 130 commons and roughly 260 rares because every common will have the upgraded rare version and then the faction shifted rare version, um, yeah. which is going to then create, that's where also there's going to be like that pool that's big enough for all the factions to really like exist too. It's, it's actually, it's a very clever way of, of doing the game, which I'm very excited to see how that pans out. But that means for someone who sees that and likes the game and is, has a collector mentality, they might go, you know what a tough collection would be and a fun collection would be a foil of every non-unique in the game. And, you know, you can always go, and I'll get one foil unique of every card too, or something if you want to. Um, That's an enormous collection. That would be impressive to see. That would be impressive to collect. And I think that would, that would appeal to some people. And when the game... Oh, Oh, go ahead. Continue. No, no, you I should rephrase my original point then. What I meant by, when I say collectors, I more meant the collectors that are in it to collect and flip cards for value. Oh, um, so okay. those, yeah, there's definitely still going to be collectors yes. like that where they have their own personal collection goal. They have no intention of like, they're not collecting to then offload it later at a you know markup price. Or like I have a full set now it's worth X amount. They're going to be collectors out there, but they're more just like their own personal goals. Like you said, like they're like, I really love Lyra. I want to find foils of all Lyra and I want to have foil play sets of all Lyra cards that I can get my hands on kind of deal. But yeah. they, they aren't their intention isn't to buy them to flip them because they're rare. Their intention is just to buy them because they just love that thing, if you will. I think that might be a topic for another podcast that would be kind of interesting, but I still think the player, the people you're talking about, the consumers you're talking about who want to buy to flip rare cards, actually think the game should appeal to them too. Because again, every box could potentially have the strongest card in the game that nobody's seen before. If you get a unique, that's really good. I suppose, like, yeah. It's like, it's there's there's hits, but the problem is you don't know what the hits are exactly. And the hits are, are very dependent on... like. It's that's so funny. They're meta dependent, but the meta is going to be everything. (laughs) Go to any other game, open up the rarest serialized card. Okay, what's this worth? Even if it's serialized, what's it worth? Go on eBay. You say, okay, um, a number two sold for five thousand, a number fifty three sold for two thousand five hundred. This is a number seven, so maybe it's like going to be like a three four k or something. Like you can make a guess, right? You open up a unique in this game. I don't know. Like, how good is it? Is like, it's, it's really, it's going to be very difficult to determine the price and there's no comps. There's no way to look and see, like you can, you can look at what other uniques of that card have sold for, but that doesn't mean anything. They like, yeah, that could be wildly different Then you're just like oh, in the dark. So yeah, it'll be an interesting, it'll almost, it'll almost feel like you're going back to the wild West bartering system. Cause like every card is just going to be like, uh, what? Sure, I guess. Like, I'll do this for four nickels and a paperclip. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think that is really hitting at an, an important point that people who have been checking the game out but have been hesitant on it or have have expressed concern or disbelief in its its ability to succeed. I think, and I don't, I don't want to like put, I don't want to speak for them, right? But my the vibe I get from this is that these are generally people approaching the game from a particular point of view of how TCGs work. And I just think altered is going to be different. It's, and I think it's, it's hard to predict how the market 
is going to be for a game when it's honestly when um, I did another video looking back at one of the documents that was released recently was uncovered from the founding of magic when when some um, when the the company that would become Wizards of the Coast was trying to get investors to hop on. So they produced this document and it was like, here's what we're doing. And it was talking about how revolutionary their system was because um, here's, you know, people will buy this. And it has this breakdown of like, we expect casual players to buy um, a starter deck and a few booster packs. And we expect people who are just going to try the game to maybe buy a single starter deck. And we expect the serious players to buy up to a booster box. Okay. And now if you hear all that stuff and you are a serious TCG player, you're like, well, that won't even get you close to the cards you need. <laughs> like you probably are going to buy at least a case or you're going to buy everything in singles. Um, so what we predict about the market for something that is, is approaching it as I think as differently as altered isn't necessarily how things are going to pan out. If all we're doing is using what we expect from our, the next best comparison we have, which I think is what, I think is what they were using because if like if you think about like a serious baseball card collector, you know, may, maybe a serious baseball card collector does just buy like I mean today it's probably different, but back yeah. then maybe it was like they did At just that time. Yeah, they're just like I'm going to buy a box and hope I get my I don't know baseball. I'm going to make a fool of myself. My Mickey Mantle or so, that's a guy, right? That's a guy from baseball. You're asking the wrong man. I don't know. <laughs> Especially sure. old baseball. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that was their comp, right? And they were just like it's going to be kind of like this and they and they failed to accurately predict how badly people wanted good cards <laughs> right yeah. it's it's funny too because like uh i don't even i think this is a rumor or maybe this was in an interview too like when they were asked why they made the power nine so bombastically good it's because they were literally like oh we didn't actually expect people to own four copies of each of yeah. these like we we built them because we were expecting like maybe you'll pull one or two and that's what your deck will consist of. They're like, it just didn't dawn on them that, that people would be like buying so much product where they would get full play sets of all of these cards. They weren't meant to be like used all in one deck. That was just like, yeah, well, you know, you might have one or two in your collection of one or three of these, like no big deal. We can handle that. The, the game's robust stuff. And then, yeah, the game just went off the rails and people were buying so much that there's like, Oh, you know, these cards are broken now because everyone has four copies of every one of them. Yeah. And th I mean, that lines up, that lines up with what the expect the expectations they laid out in that document and everything. Um, so I really think that I think it's very difficult to sit down and take any of the current market models and apply them to altered and make your prediction on like what values are going to be like, or, or, um, how players are, how, how people are going to respond, how consumers are going to respond to this being in the marketplace. Um, I can tell you based on what I, like what we think the psychographic profiles of people that we've showed the game to, we've demoed the game to, and, and that we know are TCG players. And we can say like, here's what they might like or dislike about the game. But um, I don't think you can approach it from this perspective of, well, collectors clearly aren't going to like this because collectors like me aren't going to like this. So it's going to flop or something because I think it's just too different. And yeah. I think it's going to find, it's going to create new niches of, of consumers and it's going to find niches of consumers who really enjoy this. Yeah. I'm very excited just for the, the game journal too, because it's like just 
watching it evolve and see how things go and pan out is going to be almost as exciting as playing the game. And the implications of what this game is going to do to the space, if it does succeed, is going to be huge. Like, it's as like like we were talking about when we left Gen Con. It's like these guys are thinking in like 2023 and all the other TCG creators are thinking in 20, you know, in the aughts still. Yeah, like, yeah. As far it's... as like, you know, like non-gameplay related stuff, like these guys are truly thinking future forward and it's going to... It's either going to pay like mega dividends or it's still just going to be the thing that gets people's eyes on it. And I, there's one more thing that I think that people have pointed out uh, as a, what they believe is an immediate flaw in the game. And I'm going to bring it up right now. And I want you to tell me what your experience has been with this, Jordan. So in order to scan these cards in the app, you need to scan their QR code. Yep. which is located on the front and the bottom corner of the card. Jordan, what do you think about the QR codes? I think that they're perfectly fine. I also think that they're perfectly fine. Um, so but other people, they don't, do not. they don't, <laughs> they do not think that. And, and you know what, to be fair, like all's fair in matters of taste, right? It's like, whatever. Like if that's, if you're like, you know what? I hate that QR code more power to you. I'm not going to be like, you better like it, like, you know? And I won't say that I like, I like the QR code. Like, I'm not like someone who's like, my bed sheets are QR codes because I really like looking <laughs> at them or anything. But here's what I can say about the QR code. Every single person I've demoed this game to, uh, I demoed it to people. And then after I, I ran a whole bunch of demos, and then I, I just was asking like open-ended question, like, what did you think about the QR codes? And the general response was, oh yeah, I forgot there were QR codes on the cards. Like legit, like I'm not making this up. That's the, that was a phrase that I heard variants of. Um, and I, I think what this has to do with is how human brains work. Brains are, brains are weird, right? We don't understand brains. Brains are, brains are ridiculous meat Our bags. brains can filter stuff out and you don't even realize it <laughs> brains brains can filter stuff out and brains can can fixate on things in in interesting ways so i think this comes up when people are looking Wearing at glasses altered... that really hits home with me on both the fixation and the filtering out yeah yep <laughs> and when when you're looking at an altered card right away and you don't know how the game works i think one thing that happens is your brain parses as much as it can it kind of skims through it's like okay a name, a art, some stuff I don't understand, a QR code. It's really easy because you know what a QR code is. You know it's there. And you, boom, 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 you just, your brain just like looks at it right away. And it's really easy when you haven't played the game to like see that as a, a something that just sticks out on the card. Now, as soon as you start playing the game, you, you get into the game, you learn the game, and you actually get into the decision space, it's not even there. Because instead, now your brain is fixating on the rest of the card. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't even... And and the, maybe your mileage will vary on this, but that's been my experience. That's been the experience of every single piece of person I've demoed with. And that's been your experience too, I believe, Jordan, right? Yeah. And like part of the reason it filters out so easy too and very quickly is because to the normal person, all the QR codes look like the same symbol. So it's the only feature of the card that never changes on anything so it's less, it's, you notice it less and less very quickly. 
because as you look from card to card, you're noticing all the differences, and that's the only thing that's the same, so your brain almost just forgets it's there. Like, two turns in, you just forget that there's QR codes on the card. Now, I, I get why some people, like a collector, would be like, the QR code looks ugly in the corner, I wish it wasn't there. But, again, going back to my personal belief, where they didn't, you know, it's obvious they didn't design it as like a collector game. There will probably be people who do collect the game, but I don't think it's like a, a collector's game to begin with, which is why it doesn't really bother me all that much. Like, and I'm also a mechanics guy. Like, I'm there to play the game, not to collect it. So, like, the fact that my brain forgets it's there and focuses on the important bits, totally fine with it. I think there's something also. This is this is the the first time I've I've kind of put this idea out there. But I think there's something to having it be obvious on the card too that I think is important to how the game works. Um, it's, you know, when you already understand everything about the game and you know about scanning the cards in and everything, it could be anywhere or anything and you would find it and you would know to do it because you, again, your brain already knows that that's the thing to do. But if you just pick up this game for the first time, you, and you have no knowledge of the digital collection or anything. You're just like, oh, what's this card game in my shop? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Because then you'll open the pack. They'll see it. Even if you're not like QR codes are pretty unanimously known across most yeah. things. If you have a smartphone, they're immediately just going to be like, what's this? And then they'll scan it. And then the card does the job of teaching people like what it's all about immediately. Because then they'll be like, I got to know. They'll scan it as their collection is like, hey, make an account. This is what this is about. Like. And it's, yeah, so I, I get what you're about to go on that one. It's very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intuitive yes. in its design, because it'll just immediately capture the attention of people who don't know what it's about. The other option would be they hide it. They they make it, they hide it within the artwork in some way. I heard someone uh, recently commenting, like, why don't they do that? Or they put, a lot of people say, put it on the back of the card, which I don't like at all for multiple reasons. Um, but if you do anything like that, and you want to get this information to the pe- to the people's hands as soon as possible. The only other option is to like include an insert in your packs with like like that like explains what they're supposed to do in like every pack or something. And let me tell you, Magic has had inserts in its packs that that have words on them for uh, maybe decades, over a decade now, not decades quite, but over a decade. No one looks at and them. And let me tell you the number of those I've read. I can count it on one hand. I, th- I think I'm done <laughs> counting, actually. <laughs> this Insert cards like that, like in the 90s? Maybe you're an old school gamer and you're thinking like, you know, yeah, that used to work. Like the, the rules for Jedi test training when Star Wars CCG were in the Dagobah packs or whatever. Um, okay, but it doesn't work now because that's not how, that it's noise. It's noise to people. Um, nobody it's just one more piece of garbage in the pack that everyone just throws away. There are people who read them. I want to be clear. I said nobody, but it's, yeah, I think it's largely it's ignored. Small minority. <laughs> yes. And so if you have a system where it's very clear to a first time buyer that they should scan this and figure it out because they're going to want to know why it's there. Um, and when you're playing, it has no bearing whatsoever on your play. You don't even notice it anymore. And it makes it simple to crack open the packs, play everything out, and just zoom, scan it in. Scan it in. You don't have to 
flip things around or whatever. Like it's another thing if you're not like a draft, let's say you're drafting altered or whatever. If their PR codes are on the back of your pack and not the front, it'd be easier for someone to be like, yeah, got your card <laughs> or whatever. Like, Get wrecked, right. Nerd. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's a whole other thing. A lot of people have brought that issue up, but it's like, well, yeah, it's also easy for me to reach over and grab your pack and run. Like, it's not, you know. Yeah, it's people not, are just going to steal. Like, and if they are, it's a, they're not going to be at the store very long. A lot of the same issues people bring up with Altered, like what if someone's, what if someone scans your cards? What if, what if someone, um, what if you, what if you lose your deck or, or actually it's better, that's better in Altered if you lose deck or whatever. But like, there's a number of issues that people bring up that are exactly the same with any other card game. It's not, it's not different at all. Like what if, what if you, what if you lose your app access? Okay. What if you lose your collection? Like, I don't know. Like it's, it's, yeah. you can, you can draw it's the same parallels. Uh, yeah. It's just cause um, the same end result happens. It's just the method that it happens is different and it's difference, you know, is what people are concerned about. But yeah, if they sat down and thought about it, they'd literally, like you said, they'd be like, yeah, I guess that could just happen in anything else. It's just instead of them scanning your QR code, they're just stealing the deck. I don't know. Yep. But there's going to be there's going to be pushback. There's there's a, any new thing, any mm -hmm. new thing, whether it's good or bad. And again, I want to be clear, like we we are optimistic and excited about Altered, but I'm I'm also not like I'm even though we're making this podcast, I'm not betting my life savings on this or anything. I'm like I'm excited, I'm curious to see how it pans out, but that's you know it it's new technology and whether or not it gets adopted and if it becomes successful is not in my hands and might not even be as in the hands of equinox as they would like it to be um so but so far like our experiences just with the print and play have been very positive um very much so I'm have absolutely loved excited. playing this Yes. Um, playing the game itself has been fun. Showing people the game has been fun. When I get Seeing to their tell... reactions has been yes. great too. The reception has been just generally positive across the board. Like I said, even the, like you said too, people that literally sit down ready to critique the game end up leaving the table like, looks like I'm in another card game, ladies and yep. gentlemen. <laughs> yep. Um, and when I get to explain some of these things that I think people have knee-jerk negative reactions to when i get to like sit down and actually talk with people um i i haven't gotten that reaction at all uh turns out it's just people online who are posting anonymously and and stuff so go figure the internet's the internet but i think uh that's all we have for you guys today and as the day comes to a close uh, those were our fleeting thoughts. We hope you enjoyed them. We'd like to thank you very much for conversating and listening to us talk about the Altered TCG. And we look forward to seeing you in about two weeks. Have a great day. See ya. See ya.